let me begin the sermon with an announcement. Um, This month at London City Presbyterian Church, we're going to be conducting what is called an election of office bearers in the church. An election of office bearers this month. So from today until, let me get my dates correct, uh, from today until the 27th of this month, if you are an elder, uh, sorry, if you're a member of this church, you are going to be asked to vote You're going to be given voting forms, and you're going to be asked to vote for new leaders in this church, in this congregation. An election of office bearers. Okay, right. As soon as I say that to you, what do you think? Come on. What do you think? I say to you, an election of office bearers. What's the first? What have you already thought? Here's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping that the vast majority of us have already resolved to be very prayerful about this. Did you do that a second to go? When I said to you, an election of office bearers, do you think, right, this is serious, new leaders. I must be, over the next two weeks, committing this matter to God in prayer. Did you? Did you think like that? That's my hope. Here's my fear. My fear that some didn't think like that. My fear is that some of us just now hear election of office bearers really shrug shoulders and think, who cares? You hear election of office bearers and you think, is that, Andy, such a big deal? Like, new office bearers in this church, new church leaders, is that really going to affect my life? Is it? Like, is it really that big a deal? Even for our congregation on a Sunday, is it a big deal? Is this going to impinge upon my life in any... Is this important? Is this a big deal? Well, to push back now, here's the first thing that I want you to do. I want you to go back to Titus 1. I want you to look at the page in front of you. And I want you to think about what you do not see. Come on, let's do it. Titus 1. What page is it? Somebody shout out the page number. 998. Look at Titus 1. Look at the page. You tell me what you do not see in front of you. Now, isn't that interesting? We know how Paul usually begins his epistles, don't we? We really do. We've been into Paul's epistles very frequently. We know what he normally does. What do you not see? Is it strange? We do not have in Titus that expected section of thanksgiving. We don't have in Titus that section that Paul, not always, but normally has, that section of praise. Indeed, actually, isn't it evident that there's very little in the way of personal remarks even to Titus, unlike Timothy? So you can tell right now, can you not, that this is different, that Paul has got some, there's momentum here, isn't there? At the beginning, something obviously really pressing that Paul's kind of thinking about, he's got in his mind. There's something urgent that Paul needs to say and get said, right? So we're asking, well, what is this urgent thing? Look at verse (laughs) 5. He tells you what the urgent thing is. Paul mentions that he's left Titus and Crete to sort out the organization of the church. Look at what in particular that he mentions. It is the appointment of church leaders. Isn't it something? Don't you think so? That the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the the Holy Spirit, he sees the establishment of leaders in the church as 
so critical. Paul sees it as so vital. He's willing to forsake his usual pattern and his leg. He's willing to jettison the section of thanksgiving, praise, gratitude to deal with it and to deal with it at once. So let me go back to you. Are you sitting there thinking, this isn't really that important? <laughs> Are you? Are you sitting there thinking, well, actually, I've heard all of this before. Like, I know everything there is to know about church leaders. Maybe some of you are thinking like that, are you? Maybe some of you are visiting this morning, and you're thinking, well, I'm not even going to be a part of this congregation. I don't need to listen. I don't even need to pray for these people in this. Are you thinking this is not important? Man alive already, do you not see from Scripture that it is? Will you listen to me for this phrase? Who the members of this church vote for in the next two weeks, in a very large way, determines the spiritual health and the spiritual direction of this congregation for potentially years and years and years to come. Do you see it? This actually matters. We really, as a congregation, should take this very, very seriously indeed. You know, I hope, that there are two offices, two roles that we're talking about when we're dealing with church leadership in a Presbyterian church like ours. Do you know that? There's two offices. There's two roles. You have one role that deals with the material things in church life. Let's say poor relief, mercy ministry, that sort of material stuff. What's the name of that office? Come on. What is it? Do you know it? It's on the tip of your tongue. Everyone's got it there. Do you? The deacon. So the deacons in this church, poor relief, mercy ministry, material type of stuff. Yeah, you got it. That's one role. There is the other role that is to deal with the spiritual care of the con- the spiritual, not the material stuff, the spiritual. Now, this morning, it's that role that we're thinking about, okay? Not the material stuff, the spiritual. Now, how are we going to deal with it this morning? Can I tell you, can I lay this out before you? We are going to have two parts to the sermon. Maybe that's already come as a relief to you. Maybe you think, oh, few, not three or four, just two parts of the sermon this morning. First of all, what we're going to do, we're going to get the titles or the names that Paul gives to that spiritual office in that section that you've got in front of you. So Paul gives a few names to the spiritual office in Titus 1. Now we're going to think about what those names tell us about the task and the role of the spiritual office. Okay, so what's the first thing? titles. Then the second thing we're going to do, we're going to think about the criteria. This is important if we've got a vote, isn't it? We're going to think about the characteristics that men in this congregation should possess if they're to be considered for this office. So we've got two things, don't we? Boys and girls, you on it? Two things. I think that I woke up about five children there when I did that. But we've got We've got titles and we've got criteria. Okay, let's think about the titles. Let's hit the ground running, shall we? And let me speak to the kids just for a moment. Okay, boys and girls. So you have got a worksheet. Some of you are doing the worksheet, okay? And on the worksheet, you have got blanks, boys and girls, that you have to fill in. So the boys and girls have to find... The three titles that Paul gives to the spiritual office. Now, we're going to cheat 
boys and girls, a little bit, because I will give you a massive hint for the first one. So maybe even the adults can help. You find the first title in verse 5. Maybe we can all look at it, can we? Maybe you already saw it. What does Paul, what's the first thing that Paul calls these these spiritual leaders in the church? Boys and girls, do you get it in verse 5? What is it? No. No. Elders. Elders, okay? Now, that, is that familiar to you? I think it probably is for a lot of us. Don't we, spiritual leaders being called elders? Is that familiar to you? But what does it tell us? I think we need to deal with a mistake, a really common mistake here with the idea of elders. Because isn't this true that so many believers, so many Christians, they hear that term, and what do they do? They equate the elders, the spiritual leadership of the church with the elderly men in a congregation. Elders, elders. that's certainly my experience, you know, in in churches up and down, certainly the case in churches in Scotland, you know, you can imagine it, can you? It gets to uh, an election of office bearers and what what do we do? We sort of scan elders, I've got to be thinking about elders, we scan through the men in the congregation and what do people look for? Grey hairs, you know, that's that's what it is. We, we scan through elders. Elders? Okay, I scan through for wrinkles. Who's got who's got the most wrinkles in the congregation? As though, as though the men most suited to spiritual leadership were men who had life experience. As though what we're looking for in elders is, is men who have got lots and lots of years on the clock. And I want to say this to you very clearly this morning. That is not what we are looking for as a church. What you see in church history, if you study church history, and what you see in the Bible, think about Timothy as the obvious example, is that age is not a barrier to spiritual leadership in the church. Did you hear that? Age is not what we're looking for. That is not the barrier. So who are we voting for? What is important to consider? It is not how old a person is. We are not looking to think who is the most elderly of men in the congregation. It is spiritual maturity, friends, isn't it? Isn't that what eldership is about? Spiritual discernment, spiritual wisdom. An elder need not be elderly. Boys and girls, you're back in the game. Ready for the second blank? Look at verse 7. Maybe we can help the boys and girls this time round. Do you see it in verse 7? They are called, what? Yes, Martin's got it at the front here, no problem at all. Overseers. I love that term. Don't you love that? Isn't it straight out, it seems like straight out of Tolkien. Or overseers. Straight out of a fantasy uh, novel or like creepy little overseers that are coming to, to get you. Well, uh, don't let Gabriel Amarim's beard uh, mislead you. Elders are not fantasy uh, villains. Okay. Not in any way. But what does it mean? Like Paul's describing leaders here as overseers. And what, what does that mean? What does that involve? Well, Maybe you're sitting there thinking, well, isn't it the obvious thing in the world? Is it? Like, you know, we're not setting the heather on fire this morning, but what does, what does an overseer do? He oversees. There's 
to be an exercise of oversight. You may be thinking it's the most obvious thing in the world. But I put this to you, that it is one of the most countercultural ideas we could possibly have in the 21st century world. Because you know what London is like in 2019, don't you? This is a, a, a culture where individual autonomy is everything. Isn't that right of your city? Individual autonomy. We make our own decisions in London in the 21st century, don't we? Like, we must be the masters of our own fate. And we will have nobody telling us what to do. Isn't that right? Isn't that what London is like? You know, people hating the idea of being told what to do. Hating the idea of taking advice from someone. I'm not hearing this. I will make my decision. I will choose... And what is this that God puts before the church? God demands that we establish and have men over us to exercise spiritual supervision of us. Men who are to exercise spiritual oversight of us. And our hearts hate that. Don't we hate it? Don't we hate it? And and there's something that rejects that idea and perhaps what we do is we try and put Titus away this idea of overseer maybe we try and maybe we try and claim this is just a unique thing this is just a one-off instance we're reading it wrong well here's the bad news throughout the new testament friend you and i hear the same thing don't we what else are elders called in the new testament they're called shepherds and do you see the role of oversight What are elders supposed to do? They are supposed to lead you and me. They're supposed to protect us. These men are supposed to care for us. Do you know what? Oh, this is the worst. You know what they're supposed to do? They're supposed to discipline us if we stray. They're supposed to settle disputes amongst us. And this is unwelcome for us, perhaps. And I... I want to ask you this morning, I want to make it very pointed. Do you accept oversight, spiritual oversight in your life? Do you encourage it and embrace it? Can I ask you this really simple, practical question? If you are in regular attendance in this congregation and you're a Christian, are you in membership of this church? Are you, are you, are we embracing and submitting to this oversight that is scriptural, an oversight of men all under the Lord Jesus Christ. So we've got the, we've got two terms. What are the terms? These men are elders. That's what, there's a task here. They're not necessarily elderly. They are overseers. There's to exercise spiritual oversight. And then boys and girls, back to you for the last time. You ready? So there's a third term. Bit more difficult, very close to overseers. How does Paul describe these spiritual leaders in verse 7? Do you see it? Friends, do you see it? It's one we very rarely look at at all. He describes them as God's stewards. Do Do you hear that spoken of very much? It's quite an unusual term, isn't it? I think we, we get from Adrian, Adrian's reading earlier on, Luke 12, that parable, that the word could be translated manager, steward manager. So we, we get the, do we get the idea that it means 
people who are entrusted with something, something that they will have to give an account for at a later date. I think we get that. But then we're left with a question, well, elders in the church, what are they entrusted with? By whom are, are they entrusted? And what are they entrusted with? Well, I, do you know what? I think the key here is to note what immediately comes before it. The phrase leading into it. Would you look at that with me? Look at verse 6. It's really challenging stuff, but it helps us in the vote. Look at verse 6. We're told that a man is only suitable for eldership if he is what? What's the first thing? He is the husband of one wife. Now, we know that doesn't mean that an elder has to be married, don't we? We know that. But what does it mean? It means that if a man is married, an elder is married, there has to be marital fidelity if he's going to be suitable for eldership. That's the first thing. Then read on. <laughs> now we get to controversy, don't we? And that for a man to be suitable for eldership, his children have to be, do you see the word, believers. Now, you can fight me on this later on. But I don't think that there means that the children of an elder have to have professed faith. See, that could be translated equally faithful. So it's the idea that the children of an elder should not be, do you see what Paul goes on to say? They should not be insubordinate, rebellious to their father. That it should be evident that the children are brought up well in the Lord, faithful, loyal to their elder, to their father, to, yes, to their dad's basic. Now, that's great. That helps us when we're voting, doesn't it? We can now look at the congregation, look at the men, and we think marital fidelity, and we can think about the children. It helps us with the vote. How does it help us to understand steward? Do you see the answer? Man. There's a lot of weight and gravity to this, I think. This is solemn. That, friends, an elder must rule his family well. You ready for this? Because it is his task and his role to be the steward of God's very family. Now, as an elder, I say that to you, and I feel the weight of that. And the elders here feel the weight and the gravity of it. Do you see it? That an elder is to rule his household because what is it the congregation are calling him to do what is it god is calling him to do to rule the very household of the almighty eternal god and if you're with me and you're listening to me you surely severity of that do you see the solemnity of this this is a very serious thing and it surely wrestles us out of apathy i mean what are you about to do We're going to give you forms in the next couple of days. What are you going to do? You are voting for men to have very stewardship of your souls, stewardship of the people of God, stewardship of this family until such time as our master, the Lord Jesus Christ, he returns and these elders are to give an account. We see the titles and we are left with the impression this is a very serious vote indeed. But I said, do you remember what I said at the start? I said we would do two things. I said we would look at the names, the titles, and then I said also that we would look at the criteria uh, for church leadership, the criteria. We're going to vote. Who should we vote for? Okay, now this past week, I was reading a, a blog post by an executive of a company, blog post, a long blog post about a company executive, And the woman in question was recounting the time that she was on a panel 
uh, who were interviewing people for a job. Maybe you've been in that sort of circumstance before. So she's on a panel of maybe three or four people. They're interviewing loads of candidates for a job. It's the usual sort of thing. Um, She was like senior management, give them a list of criteria and qualifications. And they say to the panel, you interview all these people in view of these criteria. And then you make a recommendation, right? Back up to senior management. Maybe some of you have done that. Most of us have been interviewed by such panels in the past, I'm sure. Things, in this instance, did not go according to plan at all. Because the panel are interviewing people, and they come, they have the interviews, and, you know, they discuss them afterwards, and there's a few really solid prospects, you know, and they think they know who they're going to recommend. And then it gets to the last bloke to be interviewed. End of the day. Door opens, in comes the last candidate, And the lady recounting it, she says, he hadn't even bothered in any way to dress for the interview, you know, like really badly presented for the job. I don't know what that looks like, hair a mess, you know, maybe jeans on and trainers or so forth. Sits down and she says, he did not speak well at all. You know, and she said it was really evident from the off that the whole this list of criteria that, that they had for this guy, this dude met none of these criteria. Now guess what happens? Um, despite their recommendation uh, to senior management, it was this bloke who got the job. A job that he would subsequently go and make a complete mess of. And maybe you already know the punchline. Maybe you already know why. Maybe you've been there as well. This guy just so happened to know personally somebody in senior management. This guy just happened to be best friends with the head of HR. Okay, a classic case, right? Of it being not what you are, not how you are, but who you know that matters very often in the corporate world. Yes? Yes? We're familiar with that. Now, what is the point of all of that? It is to say to you, London City Presbyterian Church, that we must not make that same mistake when we vote for church leadership. Like church history shows us that it is a disastrous thing for the ministry and the witness of a church if we appoint the wrong people to church leadership. We cannot vote for the people we know best. We cannot vote for the men that, 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 that we're friends with just because we're friends with them or because they're members of the family. And do you know what God does for you in his infinite goodness and his grace? Do you know what God gives you this morning? God gives you a list of criteria. He gives you guidance. He gives you a list of criteria in Titus chapter 1 for who you should vote for. So we looked at three titles much 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 more briefly in just a word i want to mention three aspects of these this criteria so look at verse seven with me and we'll look at the negative side of this criteria check out verse seven really interesting verse so you look at it it's, it's, don't, don't you see what i mean by it being a negative side of things do you see that like it's a vice list. We get these throughout scripture. It's a vice list. It's a list of five criteria that rule men out. It's very serious. Rule men out of our consideration. Now, if you're looking at it and you've, you're with me, do you, would you agree that there seems to be a two camps here? See, I think we learn that potential elders must not be given to excessive or excesses in temperament. Do you see that from, from 
verse 7. Like we're, we're saying that elders mustn't be quick-tempered men. The, you see excesses in temperament, quick-tempered. They can't be arrogant men. They cannot be violent men. That's a clear lesson for you and for me. Like, friends, characteristic impatience in men, characteristic anger, do you know what it does? It disqualifies some in this room, disqualifies them from consideration and eldership. But then the other camp is that potential elders mustn't be given to excesses in appetite. Because look at how verse 7 goes on. Elders must not be drunkards. Elders must not be drunkards. Elders must not be greedy for gain. Now, let me pause there. What I find really interesting about those criteria, drinking, materialism, what I find really interesting is not so much the fact that those things were characteristic of the society in in what Paul's writing. Paul says elsewhere in Timothy that the people in Crete were very, very, very materialistic people. So it's characteristic of that society. And that, that's maybe interesting. That's not what I find interesting. Do you know what I find interesting? It's the same today where we are, isn't it? Like, you know what men in London are like. We work with them. We live with them. We socialize with them. What are men in London like? You could come back to me and say, well, the first law of criteria, they hit that quick-tempered men in London, right? I mean, what a city of arrogance. As well, a violent city. But what is it that men in London love? You look at our city, and isn't it alcohol and material things? Isn't that it? Our city, the men in our city, they love booze and cash. And so again, there's a very, very clear lesson for us in this vote. Who are we voting for? We must vote for men who stand apart from our society. Vote for men in here who stand out. Men who do not resemble the city of London, but men who resemble the Lord Jesus Christ. So the very negative side there. But then you look with me at verse 8 for the positive side of things. Have a look at verse 8. What do you see in verse 8? Isn't it different in character and tone, don't you think, verse 8? It's much more positive. You've got this longer list of positive traits. Positive traits that men must hit. If they're going to be considered. Now, I think in verse 8, some of these criteria are not just obvious to us. If you look through them, they're just obvious, they're familiar. Because we've been through Titus and we've been through First Timothy. So it's very, a lot of this is obvious for us as a congregation. So what I'm going to do, I'm not going to go through all of those positive criteria. I'm just going to draw your attention to one. But I just want to give you a geography test first of all. The island we're dealing with is what? The island of Crete. So would you be able to pinpoint Crete on a map? Would you? Would you think? Some would. You know where Crete is? Crete, say it's smack bang in the middle of the Mediterranean. It's an island in the Med. At least we know that, right? Now here's what we need to know to understand this. Is that in the ancient world, the first century world, Crete was famous for its passing trade. You can see it's an island in the Med, a big island like that. But it was very, very famous for its passing transient population. Everyone knew that about Crete, this passing trade, passing population. Now, now you've got that information. In light of that, don't you find it interesting what the very first positive attribute is that Paul demands in verse 8? Look at it. Think about to where he's writing, the situation, 
And he says that elders must be, must be hospitable people. Such a transient place, such a transient island. They mu- elders must be welcoming. Elders must be accommodating men. And you're with me now. Like you, you can immediately, if you're part of this congregation, you're sitting there and you see the parallel, don't you? You see the parallel with, with Crete with ourselves, don't you? We're such a transient church. We're in such a transient city. People passing through London, passing through LCPC. All People, believers come and go week in, week out. What's the lesson then for us? It's more challenging than you think. What's the lesson for us? That each and every one of us as believers must be hospitable. It is a criteria for all believers in Scripture. We must be hospitable. More than that, we must vote for men who are going to lead the way in this biblical virtue. Men who will lead the way in opening their homes. So a negative aspect, a positive aspect. And then this is the last thing, because I promised you three. We see the necessary foundation for eldership. Are you, are you a list maker? Do you like to make lists? You know, when it comes to your shopping... Or when it comes to the tasks that maybe your wife makes lists for you, for tasks around the house. Maybe your husband makes lists for you, for tasks around. Do you make lists? Do you like to make lists? If you are, I think you need to understand that list making in the ancient world and in the Bible is very different to the way that we would do it. I'm a list maker. But this is how I make lists. If something occurs to me, I put it in the list. Randomly. So if it's shopping, not that I very often do the food shopping, but if I was to do it, what, you can imagine what I would do. I would go into the kitchen, bit of paper, and as things occur to me, I would put it in the list. Eggs. Burgers. <laughs> Pizza. Yeah. And it just ask it to me, put it down on the list. Now, what we've got to understand, very different in the Bible, very different in the ancient world. In Scripture, in the ancient world, there would be emphasis, it would be structured a list, and emphasis would be given either to the thing at the start of the list, but actually, more often than not, what would be emphasized would be the last thing on the list, that there would be this big spotlight on the last thing. Now, you can see where I'm going, right? Let's look at the very last criteria in verse 9 here that Paul gives for eldership, because this is where Paul is emphatic. This is the spotlight. It is shining on verse 9. So what is the number one thing that we've got to consider for eldership? Would you read it with me? Verse 9, this is it. Most important, an elder. What does it say? He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in what? sound doctrine and also must be able to rebuke those who contradict it now you see don't you london city presbyterian church you see the takeaway you see the lesson who are we going to vote for who must we vote for it's not just men who know and love sound doctrine as paul puts it who do we vote for men who are able and equipped to teach that in the life of the church. That's who we are looking for. Men who love sound doctrine and who are able to teach it. I could stand here. I could underline that. I could, couldn't I? Absolutely underline that. I said, please implore you, please, to remember that. But I'm not going to. I want to end 
but reminded you just what this sound doctrine is that must be known, loved, and taught in the church. Because I said at the very start of the sermon that there's such incredible momentum in the first part of Titus, isn't there? You notice that there's such energy. Paul seems to be bursting forward, such movement in the first half. And if you look at your Bible, you can see why. He's trying to get to the sound doctrine. Look at the end of chapter 2. Look at chapter 2, verse 14. What is the sound doctrine that this church must know and teach and learn about? What is the centerpiece of the sound doctrine? Do you see the words of verse 14? That our Savior Jesus Christ has given himself for us. Now why would the Son of God give himself over to death for people like you and for me? Do you you see what it says? To redeem us from what? From all lawlessness and the beauty of the words. To purify us for himself. And surely you see that that is everything, even in a topic like this today. Oh, I pray that you do. I have prayed this morning. I prayed this week that you recognize that. See this eldership stuff this morning. It is not just a means to an end. Do you recognize that? It's not we're appointed church leaders because we want to be better organized. Or a badge that we're a growing con. It's not about that. Why do we need to appoint elders? So that we learn more about and that we can tell others better of the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is what it is about. And what is that glorious work? That through Jesus' blood, spilt on the ground on that hill at Calvary, what can we, what can we proclaim? What can we say is available? Redemption. Freedom from eternal slavery to sin. So, I really urge you to vote with great care and to vote with much prayer. And may it be that God, over the next couple of weeks, may it be that he leads us to men who in turn will point us to the Lord Jesus Christ and the sound, sound doctrine of the good news. Let's pray. Lord our God, we thank you that the task of an elder is not to govern with a heavy hand. It is not dominion. We thank you that the actual task is to be under shepherd. That truly our great elder and guide and shepherd is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Lord, we ask that as we consider this vote, as we take forms away next week, we pray that you would lead us to men who follow in the likeness of Christ, who will be sensitive to the guidance of the Lord Jesus, that we as a church will be structured according to Scripture and armed evermore with truth, biblical, life-giving truth. So we pray these things in the name of our great shepherd, the Lord Jesus. Amen.